It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked On Reds. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, Reds fans? Welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast. That's right, I said that five times because the Reds have won five in a row, their longest win streak of the season, and they are now three games under 500, the closest they've been to the 500 mark all year since they went on that losing streak to begin the season. In fact, they've never been closer than three games to 500 since April 4th. So they've really made up a lot of ground here lately. We're going to talk briefly about that and then jump into my interview with Wick Terrell from redreporter.com. Before we get to that, though, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on all the many podcasting platforms that we've got. Check us out on Twitter at LockedOnReds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And then head on over to LockedOnReds.com for even more content. And hit us up on the LockedOnReds line. We'll probably have us a mailbag uh, segment, probably Telephone Tuesday, coming up next week. So hit us up, 513-549-0159. And the question of the week, what is your impression of David Bell? And I also want to add on to that a new one you know, kind of 1A, 1B. And we're going to talk more about this on Tuesday, but there were reports that came out that the Reds were second way back in the year 2011, second in bidding for Albert Pujols. And there's been a lot of takes. And obviously the biggest one is, boy, the Reds really dodged a bullet there. But let me point it to you this way. Would you have traded because Let's face it, say Walt Jockety got his way and Albert Pujols was signed back in 2011 to be a Cincinnati Red. Say they got Pujols. Would you trade the years that the Reds have had of Joey Votto? Because Joey Votto would not have been on this team if Albert Pujols was. Would you have traded those years with Joey Votto for a World Series? in 2012. I want to hear from you. 513-549-0159. But real quick, before we jump into the interview with Wick, great night for the Reds. Fifth win in a row. Jose Iglesias just on fire. Coming back from paternity leave, he had four RBIs tonight, including a two-run bomb. The Reds just clobbered the Brewers 7-1. Jimmy Nelson He was at one time one of their top prospects in the Milwaukee organization. He just looks, he still looks like he's trying to figure out how to pitch with his new shoulder. 
He doesn't have the power that he used to have, and the Reds took advantage of it, and I loved it. Nick Senzel, he also had a home run, and they jumped up a three-run lead in the top of the first. They really handed a nice game to Tanner Rourke, and Rourke obliged. He only gave up one run in six innings. He had seven strikeouts, and the bullpen came in and pitched and shut out for their part two in the three innings. Zach Duke finished it off in the ninth inning, and you know, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to get into all that. I know I tweeted out, is he entering his name into the closer controversy? First of all, I don't care who the closer is, whatever. I've said that before, but I don't think there's any stretch of the imagination that Zach Duke is entering himself into be the bullpen ace. I just don't see that. But it was a nice little outing for him there in Milwaukee to start the four-game series, and they've really got a chance. And I know we're getting right to the interview right now, but they've really got a chance to make a move this weekend. Not only are they three games out for from, from three games under 500, but they're four games out from the second wild card spot, and they're now only six games out of the division lead. The Pirates once again didn't play last night. They're having one of those weeks where you got two off days, so the Reds gained another half game on them. They're a game and a half up. On the Pirates, they're in fourth place, and they're creeping up on the Cardinals, who, again, are in extra innings with the Marlins. So we'll see how that one ends up. Last night or Two nights ago, they walked off against the Marlins on a Paul Goldschmidt home run. But we'll see how this one turns out. And it's, it's just, it's really looking good. You know, I, I, I'm stopping short of saying that I'm just absolutely back to where I was preseason where I thought they could make a run at the at the final wild card spot but they are really starting to turn me back on to that prediction and who knows maybe maybe not but anyway we're gonna jump right into the interview with Wick but real quick I'm gonna actually get the break in right before the interview. That way, you can just go right on through. You don't have to worry about it getting broken up. A big thanks to our sponsor, Hotels.com. Head on over to Hotels.com for great rates and to get rewarded for your stay. I booked my trip for this summer on Hotels.com, and I highly recommend that you do the same. Head on over there, Hotels.com. Now let's jump into the interview with Wick Terrell from The Red Reporter. Alrighty, for today's Phone It In Friday, I have with me the man in charge of RedReporter.com and the newly revived Red Reporter podcast, Wick Terrell. Wick, how is Colorado treating you today? Uh, it's a little rainy, but it's a little cool, which is quite nice. Uh, yeah, uh, things are good out here. And uh, Reds are winning a couple games back-to-back and knock on wood. Might, might get a chance to pip a... Uh, uh, Justin Verlander tonight, so uh, things are good, man. As we are currently recording, the Reds are up 3-zip, and, and we heavily, fingers crossed, knock on wood, because my goodness, they have really done some good things early on in this game, hoping they can hold on to it. But I want to start by talking about something that happened on Monday night, and that's when David Bell decided to yank Rysel Iglesias and bring in Michael Lorenzen to finish the ball game. It's something that I personally loved. And, and you know, it, and it's easy to say because hindsight is twenty twenty. they ended up winning, it ended up paying off. But even if it hadn't have paid off, I just love the reasoning behind what David Bell has done. What has been your impression of David Bell up to this point in the season? 
Yeah, you know, I was actually looking at uh, some some rudimentary stats earlier in the day, just kind of digging around as I do routinely, just trying to figure out if there's any angles for stories or things that uh, that don't kind of jive with the eye test that I've looked at. And, you know, obviously Fangraph's wins above replacement is not the end-all be-all statistic as no win above replacement stat really is. But what's what stood out to me was that the Reds currently right now at 10.6 rank is the best pitching staff in the National League and second only to the Tampa Bay Rays in all of Major League Baseball. Um, and they've got not a single pitcher ranked in the top 25. Um, a lot of that has to do with Luis Castillo walking guys. It's got with a, you know expected batting average and low BABIPs and all the above. Um, but the fact of the matter is the Reds have a lot of good pitchers um, and, and it's been spread around. And I think that's kind of indicative of uh, – how this team has been managed, both with David Bell, and I got to give Derek Johnson a lot of credit to this as well, uh, especially when you compare this season to how uh, the Brewers kind of lined up their pitching staff last year and leaned so, so heavily on their bullpen. Uh, it's like they've, you know, I, I think what people kind of get caught up in sometimes, and I'm certainly a, a, an example of that from time to time as well, uh, the concept of managing to win one game on one day versus managing to have a great staff for 162 games. Um, I think Bell probably deserves more credit for the long-term view of how he's managed his pitching staff uh, than I think he's gotten throughout this portion of the season. Uh, and that was just one stat that kind of jumped out to me and saying, hey, he's managing all of these guys very, very well. He's not leaning on one or two guys. He's not depending on one ace to get him a, a win every uh, fifth day. He's got a really good, really deep staff and it seems like he's kind of maximizing all of their abilities at this point. And that, that really stood out to me. Is that something, because I know that's been a huge topic with David Bell is, is it something that bothers you that you don't see a whole lot of guys going six and seven innings or do you just attribute that to what the landscape is in major league baseball now? I, I contributed definitely to what the landscape is in Major League Baseball right now and so much uh, specialization. Uh, but the fact is, since day one, even before day one, before he even set his opening day lineup, he was very adamant that he was going to be carrying that extra reliever. He was going to go 13 pitchers on the pitching staff. And the fact is, you don't carry that many guys unless you're going to use them. You know, otherwise you're you're tying your left and right hand behind your back and giving yourself no roster. Uh, I, I think he was pretty – I mean – he didn't come out and say, hey, I'm going to have a quick hook and I'm going to use matchups all the time. Um, but it, but in setting his roster, he he certainly did. And so I feel like that's one of those things that uh, the writing has kind of been on the wall that this is how he was going to manage things. Um, as I mentioned also, you know, the, the short term versus the long term view, um, I'm really interested to see, A, if the Reds actually do get on a run here and make this season more than just a, uh, a middling middle of the road kind of season. But if the Reds do make a run and do get back over 500 and start being legitimately a team that could challenge for the last wildcard spot, whether or not the early season uh, quick hooks change a little bit, whether or not he's bought time for some of these guys to still have a lot of their best stuff left uh, in the month of August and September, which is something that, you know, <laughs> Reds fans haven't had to worry about for a while, but might be one of those legitimate concerns, not just this year, but down the road with David Bell's managing strategy, should this team ever actually make a playoff run and need to be fresh for September and October. How do you take, because I, I've kind of looked at the different comments, obviously it's been a little bit since Iglesias was making his comments, and then you had Rourke, and now you have Tyler Malley. 
How do you take this? Do you look at it as dissension in the locker room, or do you look at it as the coaching staff encourages them, you know, maybe not encourages self-expression. We're not a humanities class here, but, (laughs) uh, you know, they're okay with them expressing frustration because kind of David Bell made the comment with Tyler Malley's statements. He's just like, you know, these guys get out on the field and they give it everything they possibly can give. So he's not, he wasn't offended by Tyler Malley's comments. How do you perceive the comments that are coming from like Tyler Malley? You know, I, I, it's one of those things that, you know, uh, it's always a very, very tight rope to walk. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how to how, let's see how to how to how to spell this out here. Um, I think it's always got to be a matter of expectations, and I think every single starting pitcher should have the expectation that they're going to go out there and pitch nine innings. Um, but at the same point in time, uh, they have to be realistic of the fact that aside from getting first pitch outs on every single batter, they're going to run into a point where they're going to have to get pulled. You know, and sometimes it's fifth inning, sometimes it's seventh inning. Uh, they they can't hold back. Uh, uh, in anticipation of that, but they also can't, uh, you know, uh, how to describe it. Uh, <laughs> put it this way. Uh, if you're a starting pitcher, I think you have to have the mentality that you're going to be out there for every single out because that's just how you get through the fifth inning. It's how you get through a, a bases loaded one, nobody out in the fourth inning. You've got to talk yourself into being good enough to get through all of these guys for every single out. So every single time they're pulled off the mound, it's, it should come as an abrupt ending to them. You know, I think it's very rare uh, that you've got a competitor's mentality who's out there knowing that that's their premise um, uh, and can't be disappointed when they get pulled out. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, just from a competitor's standpoint, uh, I, I think David Bell did a pretty good job of, of kind of emphasizing that, which is these guys are fighting, they're battling. And, and just because I pulled Tyler Malley, doesn't mean Tyler Malley couldn't have gotten the next three guys out. He, he probably could have. He totally could have. Um, but it's one of those things where uh, it's an expectation thing. And I think that's the one thing that maybe it's on the, uh, the managerial staff to relay their expectations a little bit better. Uh, but at the same point in time, I'd be much, uh, much, much less happy if Tyler Malley was like, I should have been out, you know, three, three hours before that. I was gassed. Um, the fact is David Bell was being proactive as opposed to reactive. Uh, and that means he's looking at the numbers. And that's something that I feel like I, I, I that's something I've wanted in a Reds manager for a while now. Uh, and I'm happy to see it being put into place, honestly. That is true, because when you look at it, it's two sides of a coin. A lot of fans are really, maybe not frustrated, but they're definitely pointing out how Iglesias stormed into the locker room last night and he wasn't on the you know, it wasn't in the dugout. I was one of them at first until I heard his comments and what he was saying after the game. He's, he said all the right things. I think that there's two sides of the coin to this. You either got these guys that are showing all of this emotion and all of this adrenaline and just leaving it all out there on the field, or you've got the guy that, like, you know, he gets taken out, he goes, he sits in the dugout, and he looks like a robot. I, I think I'd rather have the guy that shows the passion and the emotion that Iglesias and Mally has had. And, and I know there's been a lot of hot takiness of like, Ooh, I think Iglesias could be on the trade block now. I, I mean, maybe. I, I think as a relief pitcher, you're probably all, always on the trade block. But what he exuded on Monday night wasn't necessarily as selfish as everyone initially made it out to be, i.e., 
those on the television broadcast. But at the same token, I don't want a guy that's just a complete robot and not interested at all in what's going on and whether or not the manager leaves him in or pulls him. No, I 100% agree with you on that. And and it's, you know, it's kind of akin to, you know, when a, when a batter strike, we're watching Joey Votto face Justin Verlander again right now on the, the, the background of this, this podcast, which is so cool on multiple levels. But uh, speaking of last night, Joey Votto struck out early in the game and was cussing up a storm. You could hear him on a hot bike. He was, he was pissed off. Like I, I liked, I, I liked the fact that he was that frustrated with himself was something that was, uh, that important to him at this juncture of this season. So I, I 100% agree with you. I, I I think that, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that uh, uh, I like to see more of. It shows how invested some of the players are. Um, on top of that, it's also worth noting that, uh, what, uh, Raisel Iglesias' last uh, 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 batter face last night was what, getting Alex Bregman to pop out? Yep. Um, I mean, he, he got a full inning. He got three outs. He got the best batter on perhaps the best team in baseball when they're unhealthy. Uh, he got him out, you know, he did. So it's one of those things where it's like, it wasn't just that he got put out there for the ninth inning, walked a guy and then got pulled a batter later. He got three guys out and got the best hitter on the opposing lineup out. It just happened to be in the eighth and the first bout of the ninth inning, which if you look back to the, this past winter, when they restructured uh, his contract and guaranteed him that $24 million over three years, it was in large part because, uh, they thought maybe he's not going to get as many save opportunities, which is what arbitration process really rewards relief pitchers for. And they said, hey, in, in lieu of, you know, pissing you off down the road for not giving you the opportunities you thought you'd have, we're going to guarantee that money up front and say we're going to use you in some different roles than what you might be used to. And that was certainly something that I thought that was uh, – um, uh, kind of playing out last night. And obviously, you know, maybe Michael Lorenzen had done something that he really, uh, that David Bell had really identified with or that Derek Johnson had told him about um, in recent days. And it was just something that really looked like it was the right idea at the time. Uh, but the fact of the matter is it looked great. It worked out. And I think Lorenzen even hit 99 miles an hour on his last pitch last night. So uh, it was clear that that was one of those endorsements where Lorenzen took it and ran with it because he sure as heck looked juiced last night. There couldn't have been a bigger exclamation point to that move than him hitting 99 on the gun and striking out the the rookie sensation that everybody's gushing about in Jordan Alvarez. Oh, yeah, 100%. And another thing, and, and I know a lot of us have talked about this off and on throughout the course of the season, but uh, Derek Johnson's pitching mentality is so much rooted in um, – it's pitcher first as opposed to opposition batter first, meaning what? Uh, if you've got batters coming up who you know are great breaking ball pitchers or you know are great fastball pitchers, it's less about finding pitchers that they can put on the mound to pitch to the hitter's weakness. He's all about emphasizing a pitcher's strength. And so perhaps there were some something in the data somewhere, and I haven't gone back and tried to piece together this conspiracy theory I'm, I'm talking about right now, but perhaps there was just something about the way that Lorenzen delivered the ball and his go-to pitches and looked up at the two guys that were left to get out right there. Uh, and Derek Johnson said, hey, this is a great matchup. Your best pitches are going to get these guys out. Let's go with him. Let it roll and go with that. And uh, yeah, who knows? We'll we'll never be flies on the wall for that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it was a bold move, and it definitely worked out last night and got the Reds a big win. It was a fantastic. And and when it comes to the whole, you know, people like to argue as if it's an argument. It's not an argument. They're two 
ways to just watch the game between analytics and the eye test. But if it's someone who is completely going by the eye test, Michael Lorenzen wins every time. His arm is as big as the city of Cincinnati. <laughs> exactly. But, but it's like he just he did so well in that instance. And and going back to the emotions thing, it's funny because um, our mutual friend Coop, you know, shout out to Coop, and running the Today in Red's Facebook, he, he posted a thing a feller on Facebook that was talking about Yasiel Puig, he's just like, stop licking your arm and play baseball. Like, I I love that. Like, I don't want some dude that, like, strikes out and just, you know, rolls back to the dugout like nothing happened. He's, like, licking his arm. He's throwing the <laughs> bat. Like, tonight, his second at bat against Verlander, his first two at bats here on Tuesday night, he swung at the first pitch and both at bats, and both were pop-ups of different varieties. And after the second pop-up, he about chucked the bat into the fifth row and was cussing up just whatever. I mean, it probably wasn't in English, so I don't know what he said. But down the first base line, and it was like, see, I love that. He, he's, he's in this. He's all in on this team. And that's what is going to be the thing about this team. Because Kyle Farmer, and I'm jumping around here, Kyle Farmer in an interview today on ESPN 1530 was talking about that this is such a tight-knit team. This is one of the most tight-knit teams he's ever played on. Like in college, high school, anything. He said that everyone, they're just a great group of guys. And I think that's what has been the difference. I think the last couple of years, the passion hasn't been there. And the passion is all there this year. They just need to put it together. And I, I, I love watching these guys right now, even though they're under 500 and they can be a little frustrating at times. No, 100%. That's the one thing about the way this team that that, that always, uh, I don't want to say I questioned it, but I, I, I wanted to see it happen before I had a, the ability to to, uh, to really like comment on it. Um, but there were so many guys brought in from out of the organization over the, over the past, uh, you know, the last offseason. Jose Iglesias, Derek Dietrich, the huge Dodgers trades, uh, Sonny Gray, Tanner Rourke, so many new faces, but also so many new faces that depending on which direction the Reds go, could be old faces very, very quickly. Um, so many guys that aren't necessarily Reds for the next couple of years, who guys who probably haven't even bought a house in Cincinnati because they don't know what they're going to be doing on August 1st, much less after the season. Correct. And so and so for me, that was always the one thing that I wondered about was that they never really got an endorsement from the front office that said, uh, you know, obviously not a, a memo sent out, but you read the tea leaves. Uh, they never really got an endorsement from the moves the front office made that said, hey, this is the group we're committing to. You guys are going to be in this for this year and next year and the year after that. They didn't they didn't get that. This is a kind of a one shot deal. And uh, because of the nature of a one shot deal, especially when there's that much money tied up and the guys who are set to be free agents, it might not even be a one shot deal. It might be a hundred game deal and you run up to the July 31st trade deadline and then poof, everybody's gone again. So it's been interesting to see how well this team does get along when there's so many guys sitting in the dugout wondering if they're not going to be a red next week, much less at the end of the season. Um, so it's been cool to see how well they have gelled, at least personality wise, uh, because the opposite very well could have happened, which is a bunch of guys who never even unpack because they don't expect to be there that much longer. Um, I feel like it's been the opposite of that. And that's been cool to see. Unfortunately, it hasn't played out um, on the field quite yet. You've seen it in spurts um, and hopefully it will happen more in extended spurts. 
uh, before it's too late um, because I, I certainly agree with you. There's been some personalities. Uh, there's some 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 really fun players to watch beyond just what their stats are and what they do in the batter's box or in the field. They just seem like entertaining athletes out there, and that's certainly been fun to watch so far this year. One dude that I've really been impressed with, and, and a lot of guys that have a lot more access than I do to the clubhouse and to the team and all that different stuff, have compared Tanner Rourke, at least in the clubhouse, to Scott Rowland. That he was kind, he's kind of the gel of this team, the vet that's you know, kind of the voice of reason, but at the same time, the guy that leads all of the conversations and stuff like that. I love hearing that sort of stuff about a guy like that. And that's one of the reasons why I almost look to him as like, man, I know that he is getting a lot of perceived value on all of these different rumors and who the Reds could trade and value and blah, blah, blah. I'd almost like to see them keep him, hold on to him for more than just this year. Well, I, I think the fact is pretty well front and center. Uh, he's one-fifth of the best red starting rotation in seven years. Um, and obviously the 2012 rotation was the best red starting rotation perhaps ever. Um, and at 32, he's not over the hill. And not only that, he's not the kind of guy who, you know, at 32 is trying to throw 98 miles an hour and that's going to fall off quickly. He looks like he's the pitcher who can be the same durable every fifth day, uh, not overexerted, uh, effort kind of guy for probably a couple more years after this. And so I agree with you for the same reason why he seems to be such an attractive piece, uh, as a trade ship, uh, have him around for another two years wouldn't be the worst possible thing either. You know, um, you know, we look up at who's currently in the rotation uh, and who even is, uh, you know, behind them on the depth charts. Uh, Alex Wood might be back at some point soon, but he's a free agent at season's end. Uh, Tony Santillan's the top pitching prospect, uh, at least in the upper minors, who's healthy. Um, and he's been decent at double A this year, but hasn't exactly blown everybody away. Uh, and then you've got Lucas Sims, who obviously came up and had a phenomenal first start, um, but has still had issues with injuries and uh, you know lack of consistency going forward. Uh, for the same reason that Tanner Rourke should be a very attractive trade piece, uh, whose name is going to come up a lot in the next month, month and a half. Keep it around for another two years or so if that's something he's up for. Wouldn't be a terrible thing. Um, and you know, obviously, seeing what some of the pitchers went through on the on the free agent market this past winter, maybe the Reds might have a little bit of an in with him and say, "Hey, what would it take to keep you around for another couple of years? We really like what you've done here." But I agree with you. He's been such a stabilizing force and. Uh, to harken back to an earlier comment to tie really a knot on all this, uh, by Fangraph's uh, wins above replacement, it's actually Tanner Rourke who is the team leader. It's not Luis Castillo. Rourke's got it by point one, uh, which just kind of exemplifies exactly how consistent and underratedly good he's been all year. I think that's kind of been, and it's funny because whenever I was talking about the trade, whenever they brought him in, you know, dur back during the offseason and all that stuff, I I equated him to the guy that you're not going to get excited about, but the guy that's not going to kill you. And he's been exactly that, even to the point where you almost get a little bit excited about him. But even still, he's been the rock in the middle there. And I, I've lo I loved what he's brought. And, and a two-year, yeah, a two-year deal, three-year deal, two, three, nothing more than that, definitely. But, but right there is the wheelhouse that I'd love to see with him. Let's do a thing real quick. I know it's um, been a topic of conversation. Are the Reds buyers or sellers? And we've been talking about who's going. 
who's getting traded, why, who are they sending, who's getting traded, all that different stuff. Let's pretend the Reds are buyers. There, there was a, an interesting thought. It's not even a rumor. It was a thought that some of Reds' Twitter had picked up on. Whenever the Yankees had sent Clint Frazier down, they said, well, what, a, what if the Reds go after Clint Frazier? And I'm not necessarily asking poignantly, is that the guy that they go after? But if the Reds are buyers, what type of guy do you see coming in? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I actually got started on an article yesterday that I've, I've, I keep punting back as I can't find the right angle on it. But the, the premise of it is, uh, if the Reds do nothing, you know, just let their free agents walk, which we've seen them do with Matt Harvey and Zach Cozart and whatever, uh, and do nothing at this particular trade deadline, what does the roster as is look like for next year? Um, and you look up in the outfield, and I think you see Nick Senzel pretty firmly entrenched as their center fielder. I mean, he's not going back to the infield anytime soon based on what he's what he's done and how he's played. Uh, and you've got Jesse Winker out there. Uh, but aside from that, your other outfield options are what? You know, Philip Irvin, uh, a platoon with Irvin and Scott Shevler, if Shevler ever gets somewhat right again. Um, Jose series on the 40 man roster and just got called up to triple A today. But, you know, despite his, uh, great tools and great defense hasn't exactly looked the part of a future big leaguer. Um, you know, and Derek Dietrich, wherever he fits in, he might fit in the infield if they don't keep Scooter Jeanette. Uh, the idea of keeping a big bat around or getting a big bat to fit in a corner outfield spot. I, I kind of think that's, that's the spot. And I, you know, obviously, you know, I, I think you saw what the Reds, kind of showed their hand a little bit this past winter when they chased JT Real Mudo from uh, the Marlins and the idea of adding a catcher who can be more than just a timeshare catcher. Uh, I think catcher long-term might be a great spot to kind of try to find an upgrade. Um, but for, you know, all intents and purposes, you don't see really good catchers get traded at the trade deadline. Um, I do think that the idea that you could go out and get a guy, a future piece to be a corner outfielder with that kind of impact uh, at the trade deadline, I think that'd be huge. And, you know, talking about the Reds being buyers or sellers, uh, I almost think that the the nature of this past winter, uh, whether or not it was a, a dedicated uh, theme from the start or whether or not they realized that halfway through and said, hey, it'll give us an advantage. Uh, for the first time in a long time, the Reds enter the trade deadline without really their hand being played for them. You know, they don't have, um, you know, five guys they obviously have to trade to, to be able to, to rebuild. They're not dedicated sellers. And if they keep all the guys that they, they have, they're going to be free agents. It's not going to break the bank because they shed $65 million off their payroll this year. I really do think the Reds could be buyers and sellers this year and just be opportunistic. And if they find a, a major league ready piece like a Clint Frazier, that they can pick up by trading, uh, you know, Tanner Rourke and, and whoever else that it would take to get a guy like that. Uh, they're buying and selling at the same time. And, and I think they're in a position to do that because they've got so many moving parts uh, that nobody can really have too much leverage over them in any trade negotiation because the Reds can walk away from it and go in a completely different direction and still end up getting to their goal of being better next year and still maybe winning some games this year. So um, I, I, I am as excited from a transactional perspective, <laughs> from a front office and, <laughs> and roster uh, organization perspective uh, of what the Reds are going to do over the next six weeks than I think I perhaps have been uh, in the last half decade, honestly, because they've got so many different ways they can go. I'm with you because I feel like 
if we're looking at the things that could have happened this season, we were hoping that they'd be in playoff contention, but we were expecting the trade deadline to be eventful. I I think it's almost, and this is my uninformed take on this, because obviously I don't have any connections with the front office or anything like that, but when it comes to are they buyers or sellers or do they stand pat, I think that the thought of standing pat is the least likely. I think they're either buyers or sellers, or like you said, both. They could be very well both. In that, you know, maybe they go out and get Fraser like that, and then they swap Puig for a couple of minor leaguers, you know, assu- you know, assuming he gets his value back up, because right now it's not very high. But with all of that being said, I, I feel like the trade deadline is what we all expected to be a very interesting time of this season, probably the most interesting of it, and, and we're all hoping that September is more interesting. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to it and I'm with you. I think this is going to be a very interesting, uh, season, you know, trade season that really we just entered. The other aspect of, of emerging from a rebuild is what, if you've rebuilt and you stockpiled prospects and stockpiled prospects, which the Reds did so much of, that means you've got a lot of quote unquote major league ready guys. And you look up at what the Reds could do uh, if their goal is still, we want to win at least 82 games this year. You can still trade Yasiel Puig and Tanner Rourke and keep that as your primary MO. Why? Well, you've got Alex Wood coming off the DL sometime soon. He fills Tanner Rourke's spot. You've got Scooter Jeanette coming back off the DL soon. He jumps in at second base and suddenly you run out an outfield of Derek Dietrich and Jesse Winker and Nick Senzel and in theory on paper that's still a lineup that says we're trying to win this year you know so I think they can do some opportunistic stuff like that you've got Alex Blandino back in healthy at AAA as well you can bring him up to be kind of the uh, the additional versatility that Dietrich uh, provided is not an everyday starter give Dietrich the everyday starts and in left field move Winker to right field and suddenly you've still got a lineup that says hey that's a team that can win a lot of games this year and a rotation that looks rock solid too. So I I think the Reds are going to do something along those lines. I don't expect them to fully punt. I don't think they're trading everybody who's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. They might trade David Hernandez. They might trade Jared Hughes. They might trade Zach Duke and stuff like that. But the fact is they've got guys now that look the part of being able to step into those roles. And it doesn't really seem like a sell-off. It almost seems like a shuffle with uh with getting the most for some of the pieces that aren't going to be around after this season and still giving themselves a chance to win a lot of games this year should they ever get hot. Yeah, and 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 that's the important the important the that's like <laughs> getting that edited out. Um that's the important distinction here when we're talking about the Reds being sellers. We're not talking about what they've been in the last, you know, 5 years where it's like, okay, they got to sell the farm. It's they've got a couple of guys that they can probably play with, whether they be one year guys or, you know, not necessarily big contract players that they can move for other pieces that can make them better in 2020 and beyond. It's not necessarily a thought of, well, they got to trade somebody for the top prospect who, you know, maybe he's up in three or four years. Right. And even then, and also the backfill perspective, once you trade those guys and open the void, they're not filling it this year with Brandon Dixon or Asher Wojciechowski or Deck McGuire. Thank the Lord. 
they they've got legitimate <laughs> big leaders they can put back up there too. You know, and we we haven't even mentioned Kyle Farmer, who uh, you know, came over as a throw-in and obviously doesn't project to be a superstar at the big league level, but uh, a legitimate contributor at far five, six, seven positions and uh, has shown pop with the bat too. They've got players that they can turn to now um, that aren't, you know, filler and fodder. They've got some other options. And so that lets them be kind of discretionarily uh, objective. And, and I'm, I'm interested as heck to see what that what happens is that regard because I think a lot of people know around baseball that the Reds could sell, but they don't have to, and I think that gives them the ability to be a lot more selective with what they do. And you're going to see a lot of stuff come out of left field this year, and it's uh, it's going to be uh, the most intriguing and fun trade season I think from the Reds' perspective that we've had in a while because it's not going to be dismal in any move they make. I don't think. Wick, dude, I always have a great time talking to you, man. I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, what sort of stuff you got cooking up at the website and on the podcast? You know, honestly, that's that's what we're trying to kind of whittle down right now. And it's a topic that we've talked about for a while, but we keep waiting for uh, just enough statistics to come in and just enough people to kind of get hot a little bit again before starting trying to do it. But because of the fact that the Reds could trade legitimately 12 guys off of this roster uh, in the next six weeks or keep all of them, Oh, we're working on uh, a series that hopefully will get started running first the next week that kind of identifies which players there are and kind of looking at both sides of it, you know, keeping guys, cashing in on guys. Uh, is Derek Dietrich the best Reds trade ship right now because of how well he's played and the fact that he's got a, a, a another uh, team control year for next year too? All those kind of things, which we're kind of getting ramped up for. Uh, I'm excited about writing about it because it's not – the Reds are 25 games out of first place and have to trade these guys. It's a, uh, I have no idea what the hell they're going to do, but they could do any of these scenarios. Uh, and we're getting to the season where that's actually going to be time for it. And so we got that running. Uh, hopefully it's going to start off with Yasiel Puig, who I've been digging in uh, a lot on recently. He's got an 855 OPS over his last 20 games and 808 OPS over his last 36 games dating back to May 3rd. So while he's not gotten white hot like we all hoped he would, he's looked a lot better over the last month, uh, you know, six weeks or so. Um, what the Reds can do with him and uh, whether or not his postseason exploits and pattern of being a late season kind of bloomer uh, really make him an, an intriguing midseason trade ship or somebody you want to commit to long term also. So we'll have a lot of that running. Uh, in the next week and week and a half or so. And hopefully it'll be somewhat informative. We're still trying to dig in all the details because, like I said, there's so many angles you could go with that uh, it's hard to kind of encapsulate it all without feeling like you forgot something. I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out, man. And uh, thanks so much for talking with me today on the podcast. Had myself a pepperoni slice tonight. I hope you got a slice in your future here soon. Uh, I have one for lunch. So it's um, it's taco dinner, but it'll be back to pizza later this week for sure, <laughs> man. There you go, man. Wick, have a good one, dude. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for us here on the Locked on Reds podcast for this week. Hope you guys have a great weekend and hope the Reds continue their winning ways as they've got three more against the Brewers starting today up in Milwaukee. They'll be back home next week on an off day on Monday, and then they welcome the Los Angeles Angels on Tuesday and Wednesday. I'll have a preview for you on Monday, and we'll recap the weekend series. Also, a quick plug, I'm going to be a guest on the Reds Alert podcast with Stephen Offenbaker. We're going to recap the week that was and just talk all things Reds. That'll be on Monday, so make sure to check that out. 
Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week. My name is Jeff Carr. This is the Locked On Reds podcast. Make sure that you are subscribed on all the many podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and the Himalaya podcasting app. Check us out on Twitter. Head on over to LockedOnReds.com and make sure to give us a call on the Locked On Reds line. Let me know what you think about our two questions. What's your first impression of David Bell? And would you trade the last seven years of Joey Votto? for a World Series in 2012. That'll do it for today. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.